It's been said that today's most common, one of the most common poem titles, especially among young adults, is Who Am I? The title is a question. The whole issue of identity, who are we? It's a main theme if you pay attention even to entertainment choices, especially children's entertainment, isn't it? But it goes beyond just children's entertainment. One of my favorites, classic work, Rocky Balboa. What does he say? just want to prove that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. He wants to prove himself to others. But it's the theme of so many, right? Just think about themes of Pinocchio and the Frog Prince and Huckleberry. Think about all the princess stories. Most of them about breaking free from any and all external authority so that she can find her identity in herself. It's a worldview that is known as expressive individualism. Belle wants to abandon her provincial life. Rapunzel longs to escape her tower prison. Cinderella longs to get away from the influence of her wicked stepmother. I was watching Cinderella too. Don't recommend it. (laughs) Sequels are always much worse. But I was watching it with my daughter several months ago, and she said this, quote, I think it's time to stop following someone else's orders and start following your heart. Well, there it is. Ariel longs to leave the confines of the sea. And then, of course, we have that Scandinavian intellectual known as Elsa who goes to the mountains where she can be true to herself. Now, I'm going to read these. Please don't sing along. I know the temptation is strong. Just listen to these, though. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you have always wanted to be. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Listen to these. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Now, listen, I've, that's, I've, got, I've only got one daughter, four boys, and that song is played 27,514 times. <laughs> But this is the theme song of expressive individualism. We live in the age of the self, the age of the selfie, iGen, with a focus on that I, the age of the iPhone. It's been shown that we touch our phones some average of 2,617 times a day. And something I don't think we often think about is that they are an iPhone. Everyone's phone is different. They're all curated to me. And, of course, the focus continues to be that way. A better and better selfie camera. That's the new advertising mantra, better selfie cameras, right? By the way, footnote, did you know that more people die of selfies than shark attacks? True story. It's not a new problem, though, this problem of the self, right? It really started in Genesis chapter 3, the Garden of Eden, right? You will be like God. What is Genesis 3? The fall fundamentally, it is a, a seizing of self-rule. I don't want to be ruled by God. I want to rule myself. And I don't want to do what he says is good. I want to redefine good for myself. It's been with us from the beginning. YOLO started in the Garden of Eden. You do you. No restraints. Be you again. Just think about some of the marketing slogans. Bud Light, to those who write their own stories, this Bud's for you. Nike, of course, just do it. Burger King, have it your way. And then they change it to be your way. Now they have sometimes you just got to break the rules. I don't even know what that means. No mustard? (laughs) Talking about burgers here. 
Bacardi rum. Some people embrace the night because the rules of the day do not apply. Easy spirit, which I think are grandma shoes. No offense. <laughs> Conforms to your foot. Listen, this is grandma shoes. Here's the, here's the mantra. Conforms to your foot so you don't have to conform to anything. <laughs> Neiman Marcus, no rules here. Well, there you go. There's a survey given to college students. I wanted to share since we have more college students today than we normally do. Back in 2006, it was just told that it was a survey. They didn't tell them that what it actually was was the narcissistic personality inventory. And they were given responses to various statements such like, such as, I'm an extraordinary person. Or, I'm more capable than other people. Or, everybody likes to hear my stories. Or, if I ruled the world, it would be a better place. It's been given to students for several decades. But here lately, there's been a 30% increase in narcissism over the last 30 years. In the 50s, 12% of teens agreed with this statement, I am an important person. 12%, I'm an important person. In the 80s, 30 years later, 80% agreed with the statement. So what was once considered one of the deadliest sins of all, pride is now celebrated. You be you, you embrace you, you express you, you promote you. The author George MacDonald said that hell runs according to one principle. I am my own. Frank Sinatra theme song of hell, I did it my way. C.S. Lewis says at the end of the day, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Well, what does the Lord of the world say? Well, he doesn't say you do you. He says you deny you, doesn't he? And follow me. Jesus is after self-sacrifice and self-giving, not self-focus and self-expression. But this is hard. It's always been hard. It's harder today because self-centeredness comes naturally to fallen humanity. The call to deny ourselves is hard because of the flesh, the sinful nature that wants to exalt self. But sin at its core is self-centeredness. The prophet Isaiah says, we have all turned astray and gone our own way. That's the problem. We've gone our own way. That's why Augustine said that the very DNA of sin is being curved in on the self. That's why 2 Timothy says people will be lovers of self. So in our sinful tendency, we look to the self. We look inward for identity and value and meaning and even authority. Well, this morning we're going to spend the first of three sermons looking at identity. Today we'll look at who are we. Next week we'll look at who are we to become. And then the third week we'll look at what are we to do. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 to 11. Main point will be that we should find our identity in Christ, not in the self. Philippians 3, 1 to 11. Let's consider three characteristics of the people of God. The first characteristic is that we worship Jesus, not the self. Verses 1 to 3. Paul says from prison here, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul's reminding him, this is, by the way, this is why we gather every week. We need to be reminded of these things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian who was ultimately martyred, 
under Hitler's regime, said that normally you teach things, you teach information that was previously unknown so that you don't have to teach it again, right? It's the way teaching goes in most circles. But he says it's the essence of teaching that it seeks to render itself no longer necessary, but not so with Christian truth. No, with Christian truth, repetition is the very thing it requires because we forget so easily. We need to hear it again and again and again. And so Paul says, I'm going to write to you again. I've said these things, but it's good for you. No trouble to me. And he warns against these false teachers. What we have here is these false teachers that were adding to the gospel. So the the Philippians knew we trust in Christ alone. Well, someone had come along and said, no, basically you need to become Jewish as well. You need to keep the law. You need to be circumcised and keep the Sabbath and these sorts of things. And so Paul's warning the church, look, don't add to the gospel. In fact, Notice what he calls them. He says, look out for the dogs. Now, dogs in our day, you know, they have their own spas and hotels and whatnot. It wasn't that way back then. Back then, they were unclean, actually. They were more like unclean scavengers. This is not a compliment. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. They're all about works, good works. And Paul's saying, actually, their works are evil. And then he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. It's a word from 1 Kings that talks about these pagan who would cut themselves to try to get their gods to respond, whether it be rain or fertility or whatever it might be. They mutilate the flesh. Well, what they were wanting was the Christians to be circumcised, to be pleasing to God. And Paul says, basically, you're acting like pagans. These are actually pretty harsh words to warn us about not adding to Jesus. Watch out for those who would say that we're saved by works rather than by faith alone. Look out for them, verse 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision, kind of a strange title, but what did circumcision mean in the Old Testament? It was what set apart the people of God. There were the circumcised and the uncircumcised. The problem was that Israel began to, rather than be a light to the nations, They became like the nations, and instead of being a witness, they started thinking they were elite. They were better than. They were circumcised. They were a cut above. But now we, we are the circumcision. We are the people of God, the true circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God. The new covenant people of God, Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. And we boast in Christ Jesus. We glory in the Lord and in the Lord alone. The prophet Jeremiah said, this is what the Lord says. The wise man must not boast in his wisdom. The strong man must not boast in his strength. The wealthy man must not boast in his wealth. But let the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That's what we glory in, boast in him. That's what it means to find our identity in. To boast in something is to find your identity in that something. And we find our identity in Christ. We boast in him. We glory in him. We put no confidence in the flesh. The flesh is that fallen human tendency to exalt ourselves. But we put no confidence here. There's no room for boasting in and of ourselves. I love 1 Corinthians 4, 7. It's a question for us to think about. What do you have that you did not receive? If, in fact, you did receive it. If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? What do you have that you didn't receive, friends? You know what the answer to that is? Nothing. Nothing. Confidence in Christ and confidence in the self are mutually exclusive. You can't have both. And friend, if you're here 
and you're not a Christian, you know how you're ready? The first step of becoming a Christian is losing all confidence in yourself. That's why we sing, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. We don't boast in the self. As John Calvin put it, we never truly glory in him until we've utterly discarded our own glory. The elect are justified by the Lord, declared in the right by the Lord in order that they may glory in him and in no one else. We worship Jesus, not the self. The second characteristic of the true people of God is we don't look inward for identity. We don't look to the self for meaning and significance and value and purpose. Look at verse 4 of Philippians chapter 3. It says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's like, hey, look, you want to you boast about what you're doing? Let me put on the gloves and drop you to JV real quick. Some of these advantages he lists were from birth. Some are those that he attained, right? Circumcised on the eighth day from the very beginning, a lawkeeper of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the only one of the 12 that were born in the promised land. Only Benjamin and Judah remained loyal to the line of David. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Ethnically, he probably read Hebrew, which is not what many Israelites could do in his day. He was a Pharisee. He was the strictest of those Jewish tribes and sects. So zealous was he that he persecuted the church because he thought the Christians were opposing God. Blameless with regard to righteousness under the law. He doesn't mean that he was without sin, but what he's saying is outwardly you couldn't accuse him. Outwardly he was blameless. He was a really good example of the one who rigorously kept the Torah. He had it all going for him. If anyone had any reason for confidence in the flesh, it was him. But, that's where we see the third characteristic. We find our identity in Christ. We look outward to Christ for meaning, significance, value, and identity. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul disregards all of those past achievements that were focused on the self. They used to be gain, now they're loss. The Bible uses the language of a ledger here. All that was in the credit column has been moved to the debit column. Now only Christ is in the credit column. He's been moved and now he's everything. Christ is in the credit column alone. He alone is of surpassing value. He's worth more than all we have. Here's how Jesus put it in chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. He sees it. He notices it. He realizes it's 
better than everything he has. So he puts it back. Let me rebury that. Let me go sell, joyfully sell everything that I have, that I can go buy that field and get that treasure. Paul came to see that his entire past was lost. With the bank balance of heaven, none of our self-reformation project counts as credit, only Christ. Everything else is filth, literally. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Rubbish, the word here is scubula. It's actually about as close as the New Testament gets to cussing. It's a very crude word. Refuse, filth, excrement, rubbish, garbage, that which is thrown to the dogs. And so is it your life aim? Is it your purpose in life to gain Christ, to know him? I just want to stop and ask, do you know him? What do you base your identity on? What is it that you're thinking about as you put your head on the pillow? Where do you find your worth? Is it wealth, the pursuit of wealth, education, job, future job, status, popularity, relationships? Or is Jesus your boast, your constant boast? Where are you looking for meaning, for significance, for identity? Look at verse 9. And be found, let me read 8 again. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, as we trust in Christ, we're united to him. Be found in him. He becomes then our representative so that what is true of him becomes true of us. You know, the word Christian, we use it all the time here. The word Christian actually only occurs three times in the New Testament. But the phrase in Christ occurs 165 times. Who are we? Well, fundamentally, we're in Christ. And Christ is in us. We were just talking with the college group about Ephesians 1 that mentions in Christ 11 times in 3 to 14, just one sentence, blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, we're chosen in Christ. If you're a Christian, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. It's amazing. That means what matters most about us, think about our identity and who we are, what matters most about us is that we were secure in Christ before we had ever even heard of Christ. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And notice what Paul says about our status in verse 9. Our standing. When we trust in Jesus, we're given a new status of righteous, which refers to our standing before God. Our justification. To be justified means to be declared in the rights. To be counted as righteous. Here's the fundamental problem. we got a lot of problems in this room today, don't we? We've got problems upon problems. But you know what our fundamental problem is? Our fundamental problem, which is the fundamental problem of all humanity, is that the God of heaven requires perfect righteousness. Did you know that? 
Our God doesn't grade on a curve. I know we don't hear a lot about God's holiness anymore, but it's on every page of Scripture. And God requires perfect righteousness. That's bad news for us because, as Romans 3.10 says, there are none righteous, no, not one. The fundamental problem is God requires righteousness and we don't have it. Look again at verse 9. I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Notice four things he says about this righteousness. Number one, this righteousness is found in him, in union with Christ. We're counted righteous in Christ. All people are either in Adam or in the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans 3.24. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This righteousness is found as we are united to Christ. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There it is. I want to teach you a word. Many of you know it, freshmen, here it is, imputation. It's a big word. It's one of the most glorious words in the world. Here's what it means. All of Adam's sin is imputed to all humanity. Every, every person is born in Adam. His sin is imputed, counted, reckoned to all humanity. That would be bad news if that's where it stopped. But our sin, when we trust Christ, when we have faith in Jesus, our sin is imputed to Christ. Reckoned as if Christ had done it. Christ is treated as if he were the one who sinned, even though he knew no sin. We're free then. We have a blank slate. But you know what? God doesn't require a blank slate. God requires perfect righteousness. We're in trouble. We're still not done. There's a third imputation. The righteousness of Christ is counted as ours. It's imputed to us. And so that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. And he doesn't see a blank slate. He sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.30. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. By faith and faith alone we're united to Christ and we're robed with his perfect righteousness. Counted righteous in Christ. That's the first thing. Righteousness is found in him. The second thing about this righteousness, Paul says, it's not found by our own doing. Not having a righteousness of my own, we're not declared righteous. We're not made righteous by our own doing. We are receivers by faith, the empty hands of faith. We don't become righteous by our performance. Flip back with me to the book of Romans chapter 4. This righteousness is not found by our own doing. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Such clear gospel truth. Romans 4, 4. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies, there's that word, declare righteous, justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted 
as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Happy are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Crystal clear, isn't it? It's not the one who works, but who believes. Flip over to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, 16. I'm gonna, I want to tell you something about it before we read it. The Apostle Paul is actually going to say the same thing three different times. He's going to say one thing three different times and one verse to make sure we get it. Remember, to be counted righteous is the same thing as justified. In the original Greek, it's actually the same word. English, we just have righteousness, the noun, justify the verb. It means to be declared in the right. And notice what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This righteousness, this justification, it's not found by our own doing. It's found by believing. And that's why we sing, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Or we sing, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Or, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. This righteousness cannot be earned. Third, this gift of righteousness comes through faith. It's not by doing, it's by believing. Did you notice how many times he repeats himself there in Philippians chapter 3? Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Not my own doing, but receiving by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's important to note, it's not just mere faith that's acceptable to God. It's faith in Christ, right? Sometimes we think it's just, just faith. Be a person of faith. Well, the Bible knows nothing of that. It's actually faith in Jesus Christ. It's offensive to our pluralistic culture, but it's so vitally clear in Scripture. And it's more than just like have faith and be serious, right? Well, as long as he's sincere about his faith, no. Sincerity is, is garbage to Paul, right? He literally says that. Who was serious about their Judaism? The Apostle Paul. And then he realizes he was seriously wrong. God demands perfect righteousness. We can't gain it, but by trusting in Christ alone, we're counted righteous in him. So not by doing, but by believing. Fourth, this righteousness is a gift from God. Verse 9 says, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We're given, we're granted the status of righteous when we trust Christ. God gives what he demands. God grants what he demands. It's a gift righteousness. Know what a precious gift it is. Infinitely more valuable than all the world's gold, highest academic pedigree, all the respect of all the businesses of the world. Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. The fundamental problem of humanity is we need a righteousness that we can't produce. We need a righteousness that we can't attain. We need a righteousness that's not our own. And the, the glory of the gift of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ we have it and we can receive it with the empty hands of faith. When you trust in Jesus, 
your sins are forgiven, removed, far as the east is from the west, and you are counted righteous because of Christ's work on your behalf. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Friends, at the root of the human condition is a struggle. It's a struggle for righteousness and it's a struggle for identity. Who am I and do I measure up? Who am I and do I measure up? Yesterday, our kids and I, I watched the uh, documentary, Free Solo, Alex Honnold. And uh, it's really sad. You know, he, he, a feat that will probably never be repeated, climbing up El Cap. But it's really sad when they were asking at his motive level. And basically, he was looking for affirmation and approval. So many are. Who am I and do I measure up? He said his parents never told him he loved him growing up. Never even hugged him. And so I'm going to climb El Cap and prove that I'm worth something. Then at the end of the movie, you know what he says? Maybe I need to do something more cool. I don't know. Madonna, believe it or not, was Billboard number two all-time artist behind the Beatles. That was surprising to me. In terms of her game, she was pretty much at the top. Here's an excerpt from an interview with her. She shares explicitly and honestly what so many of us battle with. She says, my drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. Who am I and do I measure up? That is always pushing me, she says. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being, but then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else, unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove it, that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will, end quotes. We all long for this sense of purpose and approval. We all want to be satisfied and accepted and fulfilled and happy to have meaning and intimacy and community and purpose and joy and approval and security and significance. And friends, we're designed to find these things in Jesus Christ, not in yourself. So don't base your identity on you and on your performance or the standards that others impose on you. Look to Christ. Look to him. Look outside yourself. Look at verse 10. Let me read 9 again just because it's so good. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul just wants to know him, to have this ever-deepening relationship with him that leads ultimately to resurrection. He wants to know him. He wants to be with him. He wants to abide with him. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to know what it is to participate in his sufferings. Wants to become like him, even like him in his death. That doesn't mean that we're all going to be crucified by Romans, but that we die to self every day for the sake of others. As C.S. Lewis put it, nothing not dead will be resurrected. If you want to go to the resurrection of the dead, this is the only way to go. The way to life is through death to self. You know, at the time that Paul's writing this, he'd been knocked off his horse 30 years prior to writing this letter. And here it is. His passion is still to know him. I just want to know him. I wonder if that's true of you. 
do you still long to know him? We're going to spend all eternity getting to know him better. John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you. And it begins now. All of eternity is knowing Jesus, and it begins right now through the means that he's given us, word, prayer, and church. As we close, if, if you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, yeah, it's just not for me. I, I, you don't know me, man. You don't know what I've done. I've done too much. God could never love me. Here we have a shining example that there's no such thing as one who's too far gone. The Apostle Paul killed Christians. I don't think you've done that. Killed Christians. The righteousness that counts before God is not your own. It's not you having it or not having it. It's a gift of God received through faith in Christ. You know, it's interesting in our churches, we often share testimonies and we usually highlight the, the gnarly ones, don't we? The crazy ones, you know, the addicts, and all of a sudden I was radically converted. The alcoholic, I was, I was radically converted. I've never even been tempted by a drink since. You know, the guy that was drug, drug dealer, becomes drug addict, gets arrested and goes to prison and works out, plays football for five years and gets beefy, gets out, makes it to the NFL, superstar, Heisman, leaves it all behind to follow Christ. Praise God for those testimonies, but you know what I think we need to be hearing more of is these kinds of testimonies. You know what? I was a really good person. I worked really hard to obey. I grew up wanting to obey my parents. I was really clean on the outside. I never did anything wrong, never even sped. I was clean. Everyone thought I was the most righteous person in school, but I came to realize I was trusting in myself not in Christ. And now I realize that was all moralistic garbage and now I'm trusting in Christ alone. That's the testimonies we need to hear and celebrate. That's what we have celebrated here. That I may gain Christ. All that past performance, garbage. If you are a Christian, I would just ask, are you actually trusting in Christ for a right standing with God? Day to day. Or are you trusting in yourself? How your day goes, whether or not you have a quiet time that day. Are you trusting in Christ or are you trusting in self? Are you trusting in self? Because you were, hey, after all, I was, I was baptized, circumcised the eighth day. I was raised in a Christian family of the tribe of Benjamin. You know, I actually know the Bible quite well. Hebrew of Hebrews, righteousness that counts before God is found only in Christ, appropriated by faith in his finished work on our behalf. And so Christian, rest in him. It is finished. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who are you? Our fundamental identity is Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I who live. The old I has died. A.W. Pink, a theologian of uh, yesteryear, says this, the great mistake made by people is hoping to discover in themselves that which is to be found in Christ alone. The great mistake 
made by people, is hoping to discover in themselves that which is to be found in Christ and Christ alone. I love the way Colossians 3, 4 puts it. Just, it's kind of almost in passing. Christ, who is your life? Who are you? Christ is your life. You really want to find yourself? You actually have to look outside yourself to Christ. Christ, who is your life? We are the circumcision, the true people of God. We put no confidence in the self. We consider our performance rubbish that we may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of our own, but the gift of righteousness that comes through faith alone. And now our main aim in life is to know Christ.